This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network, the only dedicated hunting, shooting and fishing radio show here in Australia. If you'd like to find out more about AHP, visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you would like to email us, then you can go to the website and click on the contact icon. Or alternatively, you can email me directly at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to listen to the Australian Hunting Podcast, you can visit the website and click on the archived podcast link. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes for automatic updates. Make sure you leave a comment and rate us five stars on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. On Facebook, you can find us under Australian Hunting Podcast, where listeners are sharing ideas, thoughts and opinions, as well as photos and videos twitter.com forward slash ah podcast if you'd like to follow our twitter feed you can also check out my videos on youtube under the name aussie federal control alternatively all social media links can be found on the website everyone knows i love my listeners but i've got especially some extra special love for my donating listeners if you'd like to donate or do a monthly subscription to the show go to the website and click on the donate button on the right hand side of the main page and show your support which is always appreciated that helps us keeps the lights on in this joint and pay those bills we have over 65 hours of free podcasting audio content to date for you all to enjoy share the australian hunting podcast with your friends and family and get as many people as you know into hunting shooting and fishing as possible so they can enjoy this fantastic lifestyle that we all love so as usual without further ado let's get into my interview with today's guest this is rod drew ceo of field and game australia this is rob fickling from beyond the divide and maroka 30 Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Mick Villa, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time today and being able to come onto the show. Talk to us about a bit of camp cooking when we're out in the bush or even at home. No worries, Jason. No worries, mate. I guess tell us, mate, tell us a bit about uh, the Cast Iron Boys. Or more, more first off, tell us about yourself first uh, uh, and then tell us about the Cast Iron Boys. Yeah, well, I'm a young fella. I'm 31. Um, I do, do a bit of uh, commercial cleaning and have a family of three boys and a lovely wife and um, my mate Nick and I started the Cast Iron Boys about three years ago and um, yeah him and I went to school together for a long time and yeah we we um, had a big passion for camp oven cooking and got in there and and do what we do now today. Yeah so I guess you know what made you sort of want to create the Cast Iron Boys did you did you always like cooking before or it's just something you've always done or how did you decide you wanted to get into it? Well, before I started doing commercial cleaning, I've always worked in kitchens, um, had a big background about cooking and stuff like that. I uh, never thought I was going to do anything with it, really, but uh, Nick and I went to a banana farm one time and um, got a chance to 
have a, a, a um, camp oven cooking there and and it was just that's what started it, you know. So we went out and bought a camp oven and went to my mum's place on a big 2,000-acre farm and went camping down the back there and and with Nick and, and my cousin Ryan and um, just started from there. So but from that first try just spawned onto this big huge thing that we've created with the cast iron boys yeah who's involved mate tell us uh who's involved in being able to uh, uh be involved with the camp uh the cast iron boys i should say um so it's just basically it's myself my best mate nick and my cousin ryan we're all in the same age and um we all have the strong passion from promoting camp oven cooking yeah, what do you what do you like about camp oven cooking? What how do you think? I uh, you know it's different than say other forms of yeah. You know, let's say you have got an oven. What's the difference between using uh, you know ca- the cast iron in an oven, or what's the difference between using it out in the field? What are the differences you reckon? Well, my best thing is being able to sit around a campfire. You know, you throw everything in your camp oven, sit to the side, have a few beers, um, have a bit of chat with your family or do whatever you want run the motorbikes at the back come back and um you got dinner ready to go so. yeah what do you like let's talk about equipment you know a lot of people there's different options you know for camp ovens or even camp oven cooking being out there being able to cook stuff so what types of uh, equipment do we need to be able to get into say camp oven cooking well i would say getting yourself for your first camp oven would be the best start um, you can never have too many camp ovens, I can say, because I've got a whole garage full of cast iron. Um, but we do a lot of shows and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, your first camp oven and a good size to start out with if you are getting into camp oven cooking is a, a nine quart because you can put a nice leg of lamb in there or, or a nice big piece of meat. You you can do a big stew and stuff like that and you can feed a couple of people. Whereas if you get yourself a four and a half, it's it's more, I, I think, for desserts and stuff like that where you just need enough. But, yeah, no, but you can never have enough. Yeah, what about, I know uh, I've had some, I love my cast iron, I've got about five or six lodge pans here at home, but you know, I know there's a lot of people that, depending on which one a cast iron you say buy out in the field, there's ones that have got lips on them and feet, what ones should people be looking at, especially if they're going to be going, you know, camping, hunting, or just out in the bush, uh, what sort of, you know, cast iron methods or one, you know, types of products should they be looking for and what features should they have, if, if any? Yeah, well, a um, a camp oven has has a lip on it, and a Dutch oven is more got a, a rounded edge. So in America, they call them a Dutch oven, Dutch oven, sorry. <laughs> and um, yeah, so basically, a Dutch oven is more for having in your camp in your oven at home and stuff like that. And then we have a, a camp oven which has got the lip, which is good for coals and and heat beads and stuff like that to keep them up on top. And if you are doing top heating for roasting or baking and stuff like that, so. That's yeah. the difference between the two of those. Yeah, it's at the bottom. So we need, definitely need. So we were using the feet, especially for sort of using, um, like the the heat beads. Is important to get the one with the feet. Well, mainly a camp oven in Australia does does not have feet. Um, it's it's mainly got a just a flat base, so you can you don't really need feet on them. In in what I think anyway, put your coals on there, put your camp oven on top. If you're baking and stuff, and you need top heat, shovel some coals on top, and away you go. Um, but if you're doing stews and stuff like that, you only really need bottom heat. Yeah, you think bottom heat's 
better to you. So, no, this, uh, this is a good one. You've actually brought up a good one. Uh, people, what sort of foods would you say where bottom heat is, say, different, where we should use bottom and top heat, or where you should just use top? Because I know some people have said they've had roasts. They want to you know, darken them up, crisp them up a bit, have more of a top heat and no bottom heat even sometimes. So which methods to which foods should we be using for you know, bottom or top heat or both? Well, I think for stews or boiling um, and stuff like that is always just bottom heat because you don't really need a, a top heat. You don't need an even cooking surface. You're just boiling. Like when you cook on your True. stove at home, when you're putting some water on the stove at home, you only need bottom heat. But when you're cooking in an oven, you have the whole convection thing that's going around. So therefore, if you put coals on top and coals on bottom, you're going to have that same sort of thing with the cast iron. It all heats up evenly and you have a good cooking surface inside. Yeah, good stuff. What about heating methods? You know, someone's going out in the field. They're you know, not sure if they're going to be able to get wood or you know, what, or heating. What, what types of heating can we use to, to cook in our um, camp ovens? Well, so basically a good one is campfires. Um, that's a traditional way of cooking. Um, but then there's always, you've got heat beads, which are really good. You get them in a bag at supermarket. You can light them up. A lot of, have, a lot of people have trouble lighting heat beads up, though, because they need they just can't get the heat to them to get them hot. Yeah. But um, the, the heat beads do make a heat bead chimney, which you can put some fire lighters underneath. You put your, your um, heat beads inside yep. and just makes them all compact together and they get lighted up in half an hour. They start ashing over and you can use them. But that's one thing that a lot of people have trouble with is getting the heat beads going. Yep. So, um, But, yeah, otherwise you've got gas. Um, there's a product called the Camp Oven Mate made by Southern Metal Spinners in Adelaide. It's an Australian-made product. It's basically a metal surround that goes around your camp oven. You put a gas ring burner under it, and it creates a whole convection thing like in your oven. And it means that you can cook your camp oven without coals or, or a fire and stuff like that, and you're just using the gas, especially with places where you've got a fire ban or a caravan park and that, that you can't have it. But then coming back to that as well, there's always the Ozpig. The Ozpig has a fire. It's basically like a gas bottle with a chimney on it and some legs. And um, basically you can have a fire in it. It's got a couple of plates for cooking. It enables you to have it in caravan parks and stuff because they are up off the ground and they do have a, a chimney on there with a spark arrestor and stuff like that. So they're really good if you, you want to have that whole thing of sitting around the fire, cooking your dinner and, and getting some warmth as well if it is a chilly night and, and stuff like that. Yeah, good stuff. Mate, speaking of that, let's talk about types of either camp ovens. You just talk about the Ozpig. There's obviously a lot of different products out there. You know, it's not just cast iron. Tell us what types of products there are we can use when we're out, you know, is it camping, hunting, whatever it may be. You're out in the bush. You want to have a nice, awesome meal. Uh, what types and what different options do we have to be able to cook in? Well, for camp ovens, for say, there's two types of camp ovens you can get. You can get either a spun steel camp oven, which is made by the same company I was talking about with the camp oven mates, other metal spinners, and they just make a spun camp oven like on a lathe, and it's made out of steel. It's a lot lighter than cast iron. It's a lot more durable. You can throw it, hit it with a hammer. If you need to cool it down quickly so you can keep on going, you can throw it in the river or under a tap, whereas cast iron, it's quite heavy, it um, takes up a lot more space in your in your car because you can't shove stuff in it and stuff like that because you can damage it. And if it, if you do need to keep going really fast, you can't cool it down quickly because it may crack and and warp and stuff like that. And you can't definitely can't hit it with something or or anything like that. 
Um, so definitely there's two different types of camp ovens and, and they both do the job. It just depends on whether you need the lightness and, and um, or you want to just have the quality of cast iron and stuff. Yeah, I know. I've heard a lot of people, Some one of my friends actually dropped his uh, cast iron camp up and it cracked in half. So, you know, what do you do, I guess? But I've also got, what, what do you think of the spun steel? I haven't had much chance to use mine, yet I've got one of the uh, hillbillies, I think a four and a half litre hillbilly, which has been pretty good. Gave it a bit of a test here at home a few times. Still trying to, you know, work out the heat, especially with heat beads and stuff like that. So let's talk about that part too, actually. Um, Let's talk about cast iron or we've got the spun steel. Uh, how hot's too hot? Should we have hotter coals or fire for the cast iron or should we have it uh, not as hot for spun steel? How does that generally work when people are going out? How do they know how hot to make their camp oven so they don't burn the absolute living you know, booger out of their food basically? <laughs> well, that's one of the biggest mistakes people make when they get into camp oven cooking is they'll go out the back with their fire and they'll shovel coals all over it and you can't see the camp oven and then they, they check it half an hour later and what's in there, a big shriveled up piece of brown or black charcoal in the bottom of their camp oven because they the one thing that they haven't learnt yet is heat control. Um, so basically my big rule is for, for, for starting out or even for people who are experienced is to start off with less. Because then if you do feel that your food's not cooking properly, you can just get the shovel on there, add a few more coals. Because if you start burning your food and you've got too many on there, you can't take it off. But if you're not cooking it, you can always add and, and find the right consistency for your heating. Um, same with, with spun steel. Spun steel needs to be hot. Um, you may have trouble getting even heating because it, it is spun and it's not cast iron. So... But some say to bury your camp oven in the ground and, and stuff like that with the spun steel, whereas I haven't had a trouble with it as long as you get you know plenty of coals around the base. And I'm trying with the spun steel, try and make the, the coals go further out from the, cast, the camp oven so that way you get the heating up the walls and then you get plenty of coals on top. But, yeah, that's, that is one big trouble that people do have yeah what do you what do you think what do you think's better would you say one's better they've both got their pros and cons but if you had to pick one what do you prefer the spun steel or the cast iron or what's your what's your general preference well definitely cast iron's the way to go uh, but i would either if i only had spun steel i'd only use spun steel just depends on what i've got but no definitely would prefer cast iron any day but i'll give any any of them a go yeah, I know. So get, let's getting away from just the just the, the camp ovens for a sec, the spun steel or the cast iron. Um, what, as you said, the Ozpig, what other options do we have for cooking out in the field? I mean, there's rotisseries, isn't there? What other options do they have? Well, you can use a, a little burner on a butane gas cartridge. Oh, and stuff yeah, I like love that. those. Yeah, they're great, yeah. They're really good if you've got a, a cast iron frying pan. It's really good on those because you get that even heating when you get it going, get it hot and um, have it cranking. And then you can get your barbecue going or your stir fries or, your, you know, you can cook pasta sauce and then tip that out and put some water in there and cook yourself a little quick feed or whatever. Oh, you know, um, I even so, use those things at home too, like sometimes because I've got one of those, you know, the, the electric uh, range tops here in the, in the place that I live and it's just terrible. So often I've bought a couple of those, you know, little beauty 
butane little single burner gas stoves and they're because you can control them a lot better and drop the heat down they're absolutely fantastic but the only thing is when you go out and it's really really cold i've learned this put a couple in your swag guys or your uh, uh sleeping bag because when you get up in the morning and it's like two degrees or zero degrees they just don't work at all you need to keep them warm keep a couple in your uh uh, sleeping bag. Sorry, sorry, Mick. Continue. Um, Oz pigs and can and, and what other options do we have for you know um, you know? Well, well, I'm mainly when I'm if I'm out and about, it'd be just a ring burner, a butane stove, and mainly the fire. I don't really get into all the other stuff. Um, what because you just those things there will get you what you want to do for cooking. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they do a lot, especially when you've got a camp oven because you can boil some water in it, you can do a stir-fry in it, you can make pancakes in it because at the end of the day, it's like a, a um, deep-dish frying pan. So you can do anything in them. It's just whether you give it a go or not is the other thing. Yeah, mate, let's talk about – I also want to talk about the quality of the products on Cast Iron. You know, some coming over here, maybe made overseas – um, I've was a, I'm a big fan of the lodge stuff out of the United States. Most of my stuff is lodge. I've been able to buy a few stuff here because the just the finish on the lodge stuff I think is a lot better than some of the, the cheaper brands out there. But what do you think about you know the quality? What should we be looking for in decent quality stuff? Well, lodge is a very good brand. It's American made. Um, they take a lot of care in what product comes out of the factory, um, but it is quite expensive for us here in Australia to get it. And but if you can get it, go for it. Um, but there are a few few different brands that you can buy in Australia of cast iron. Um, most of them are Chinese made. Um, but if you're going to choose anything over all the ones you can get from the camping store, Austral is the best way to go. They they seem to have a really heavy product cast iron. It's quite thick. It, the quality of it's really good. It hasn't got lots of grind marks and, and all that sort of stuff. And it does come pre-seasoned, so you can just give it a quick wash and, and get it hot and away you go. Yeah, awesome stuff. Uh, is that, that You reckon that would be the good brand to start with for people that wanted to get into you know using cast iron? Well, look, anything that's cast iron is going to do what it's going to do. Um, but if you're going to have a choice on quality and you've got some dollars to spend, I'll definitely go for Austrail. Yeah, I know. That's, that's one thing I noticed in some of the, the the really cheap sort of brands. The finish, I mean, the finish on the Lodge stuff is just, you know, second to none in my opinion. I mean, I just bought a... Uh, I bought, I've bought a couple from America. Uh, I've bought a big sort of uh, fry pan. I think it's a 30 centimeter, and I've got one of the little lip. Uh, what do they call them? Like it's a little pancake griddle. Yeah, you know, like about I think it's a 10 inch. You know what I mean? It's, it's beautiful because it's hardly got a side on it. You know what I mean? I just bought one too. I think uh, for my two burner stove, like a little lodge griddle, which is yeah you know, flat on one side, ribbed on the other side. Absolutely bloody fantastic. But let's talk about seasoning, mate. We need to season it. A lot of people think, and I'm one of these people that when I first got cast iron, I thought, oh, wow, it's heavy and, you know, it's going to stick and all that sort of stuff. So how do we get it not to stick? Because we know a lot of these fry pans these days uh, have got all these coatings on them. And when these coatings start to come off, what people don't realize is they're actually eating the coatings off these fry pans because it's going into your food. I mean, where else does it go? And, you know, it can be toxic. So that's one of the good reasons to use cast iron. But how do we season the bloody thing? How do we, how do we get it to be non-stick? Well, most of the time when you buy cast iron nowadays, it comes already pre-factory seasoned. So there's not much you have to do with it. You can just 
get into cooking. Sometimes they have a wax coating on them, so you have to follow the instructions if they do come like that because they've got to protect them from rusting, especially um, because of moisture and stuff, depending on where they go. So definitely they do come pre-season. But if you're using your camp oven for a while and, and for some reason you leave it out the backyard or out in the bush or you just don't do what you're supposed to when you finish cooking um, and it gets a bit rusty, surface rust and stuff like that, Definitely, um, some people say to me, have come up to me and said, oh, my camp oven's a bit rusty. Does that mean I've got to throw it out and buy a new one? I'm like, no, you can have your camp oven for 100 years, you know. So definitely you just get get into seasoning it and or cleaning it up and, and um, it should be right to go again. Yep. Tell people why we don't use soap on our cast iron. Well, uh, unless, unless we're seasoning. Tell people about... Um, clean, tell, tell people just generally about cleaning the cast iron as well. Well, um, I'm a big believer in using soap in cast iron. I um, I haven't had an issue with using it. You do get a lot of people saying this and saying that, but at the end of the day, it's what you want to do. Um, they do say soap can get in there and, and have that, when, it, when you're cooking with it, bring it out and you can have that taste of soap in your thing. But I used to use a little mild dishwashing liquid and I've had other people say that they do the exact same thing and they don't have any issues. Um, just like when you're seasoning your camp oven and you're using like an oil and stuff, you don't want to use a lard because a lard will get absorbed into it when it's cooling down and then it goes off and rancid and then when you go to cook it again it all your food tastes weird or your camp oven smells weird because it's um all the fat in there has gone off so best to use an oil or a spray eat an oil that you're um using oil that you want to eat yeah good stuff talk to people about um let's say like you said it's rusted someone's you know we talked about the pre-seasoning of the product from factory let's say it's you know someone it's gotten rusted you know we've you know one how do we clean off the rust that's number one and then number two, tell people about the how we uh, re, if we need to re-season after removing the rust, what do we need to do, and what oils would be appropriate for the high smoke point that we need. So, okay, so sorry, that's three cut. questions there. Sorry. <laughs> well, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. So how, how do we get off the rust first? Yeah. Basically, if we've got a little bit of surface rust and it's not not a lot and stuff like that, just use a steel wool. Get into it, scrub it all off in some soapy water. I, I would. You can just use soap, just use water. But um, I'd definitely get into it with some soapy water and give it a good scour all over. Must get the whole thing nice and clean, get it all back, and then just give it a get it, let it dry or get it really dry. Either if you put it on the can on the fire, but um, it gets hot and then it's harder to handle. But yeah, get it get it dry. Give it a good coat of oil, either 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 with a spray oil or um, a bit of oil and a rag, but if you use paper towel, paper towel can fall apart and you get bits of paper towel everywhere and, and all <laughs> yeah. over your thing and it can be hard to get it off there. So basically just get it clean, oiled, get it hot and then let it cool down and then do it again if you need to. But I always try and do it at least three times when I do it. Um, and I like using the method that we learn off a guy named Derek Bullock. He uh, taught us to do seasoning of our camp oven in a hooded barbecue. It works really well. Um, basically same thing. I just use a bucket of water and a nice soapy water and a scourer or something that's really coarse and give it a good scour, get it clean, get it dry, get it oiled, get your, your hooded barbecue as hot as you can get it, get it going for a while, have it closed, lid closed, and when you're ready to go, put your camp oven in upside down and 
just get it really hot, let it go for about 40 minutes, and then we'd turn it off and leave it in there and walk away, and then um, come back about half an hour. It should be cool enough to pick up, or I always use gloves when I'm handling mine because it's so much easier than using it, relying on a lid lifter. Um, and then do the same thing, get it oiled, turn your barbecue on, get it really hot, let all the oil soak in, and you might need to do that a few times until you get a good season on there. The better the season you get, the better chance you're having a really good non-stick product at the end. Yeah, is what? Well, okay, you probably just made that was the main reason. Why do we need to season? What's the reason? Um, to create that coating on the camp oven um, that you, you know can help protect your food from being absorbed, as well as creating um, the non-stick surface as well. Yeah, awesome stuff, awesome. Uh, what's the biggest, let's talk about mistakes, you know, people, as you said before, they're cooking stuff and they come back and they're like, oh, man, it's a big lump of charcoal, I burnt the crap out of it. Um, what's, what, what are sort of some of the a few, a few big mistakes people are normally making uh, for the first time when sort of uh, that ruins their food? What, what's some mistakes people make with cast iron? Well, like I said to you before, one of the biggest things is when I get out and or when you talk to people and stuff at the shows and they go, oh, I cooked my first roast the other night or I cooked my first one and it was a disaster and <laughs> you talk to them and they said, oh, because we had too much heat in there. And that's one of the biggest things that people do is they just don't understand heat control, you know, because they can't go to it and turn the knob and put it on 180 yet because that's what the cookbook or what their previous knowledge is. You know, it's like there's no way unless you get yourself a thermometer, which I don't worry about having, but um, I do know people who have those and to help them get what temperature it is inside the camp oven. Yeah. But I, like I said to you before, I just like starting it off, add a little bit, and then if it's not hot enough, add a bit more until I find that my food's cooking nicely um, and stuff like that. So that's one one big mistake people make. And the other thing is probably over planning what they're cooking. Yeah, that's me too. How do they overplan? Give us an example. Overplanning how? Well, they just take a lot of ingredients and and um, they may be planning for a weekend and they take so much food out there and then they <laughs> don't me. end up eating it. Yeah, <laughs> and they just and then they never cook it and and they left with all this food and sometimes it might spoil because they haven't got refrigeration or anything like that. So just try and plan your food, but just don't take a lot with you. Just you know, bare minimums, but um. One one good thing that we like doing is like our, we have a good few recipes and stuff like that, and one of them is like a banana cake or you've got damper and stuff like that. We like pre-mixing it up in a um, Ziploc bag, add all your ingredients in there, and, and all you got to do when you're out in the field, as you would call it, um, just add your liquid and away you go. You're not worrying about mixing cups and all that sort of stuff, and, and that's, that's a good way to plan your food if you are going out is to um, – pre-organized like i've got a friend that's going away on the weekend and he asked me for a hot cross bun recipe because you know oh, it's yeah. coming it's coming up to easter and we've got a good no yeast one and um basically he um asked for that and he told me later on that he measured it all up and put it in a ziploc bag so i was ready to go when he was ready to cook it so, yeah talking about baking well before we go on to the next one baking is i mean obviously stews you know it's a lot of liquid unless it really you know, evaporates. It's sort of. It might be hard to get it wrong, but how hard is it to bake in, uh, say, cast iron? Is that one of the harder, harder things to do, or it's one of the easier things? What do you think? Well, I think they're all easy to do if you get it right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get, I get, give give people some more ideas about how they can get at least baking. How they can get it right. Okay, so baking um, is just like cooking dampers and breads and all that sort of stuff. 
and then roasting is like roasting your meats and stuff. Um, basically, I think if you've got the heat control right and you've got your recipe and everything all mixed up and you stick it in there, you should be right to, to bake whatever as long as you keep an eye on it. And that's one thing as well when you're baking is I like to keep an eye on my cooking. It's not one of those things I can set and forget and go and have a play and come back and expect my dinner to be ready for me and saying, here I am on the plate. Um, so, yeah, so with baking and stuff, I'd always keep an eye on it because when you, you can visually see where it is in its cooking stage and go, okay, in my head, I think five more minutes, I'll come back in five more minutes and, and you know, it needs two more minutes and then it's ready to go sort of thing. But if you walk away and, and forget about it and come back, you're going to have that charcoal ball there, aren't you? So... You know, it's definitely one thing with baking is to keep an eye on it compared, yep. you know, and anything, I suppose, keeping an eye on it when you're cooking stews and stuff like that because you, then you, if you've got liquid in there, you can evaporate if it's been cooking for too long. And the other thing is when you're roasting and stuff like that, um, if your heat's dying down because you're using coals, um, that's one thing that people like using heat beads for is because it's a very constant, even heat for a long period, whereas when you're using coals, you've got to... Um, keep changing them all the time because it depends on the quality of the wood that you're using but you do have to keep changing them to um keep your heat there at a constant level yeah is it okay talking about that is it okay to keep you know checking food is it because i've heard this sort of thing well if you're checking it ain't cooking sort of thing so how often should we be checking it is it good to check it on a regular basis just to you know lift that lid see where you're at is that okay or a bit of a no-no or no, well, I, I strongly believe and I strongly encourage people to keep an eye on their food. Um, if you want to be able to have a good meal afterwards and, and not be chunking into a, a bit of, you know, tough piece of meat or <laughs> or, or a uh, charcoal rock log thing that you thought was a $30 roast piece of lamb that you bought or, in your case, a, a bit of wild meat that you've got, um, from your hunting experience, you yeah. know, you don't want to go destroying that. So definitely a good thing is to keep an eye on it and not forget about it. Awesome stuff, man. I know we were talking about types and sizes. Let's say someone comes out, they're not going to buy 10 camp ovens to get started, different sizes, etc. Yeah, there are a lot of different sizes, but someone wants to buy their first at a camp oven, you know, would you, as in, recommend a cast iron? Would you recommend a spun steel? And if so, what sort of size, again, should people be, you know, looking at that will sort of give them enough to be able to cook? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of families out there. Um, that'll be good, you know, for either, either individuals or a pair or a family. What what sort of size should they look at that will cater for, you know, bits of meat or, or um, baking? What's a good size to look at? Okay, so for um, spun steel, a good size is a 12 inch what southern metal spinners go by is inches um a good size is 12 inch with their ovens they're nice and deep so you can get a really high piece of meat or anything like that in there whereas with cast iron they tend to be a lot more shallow um so the height restrictions of like a, a nice big chook can be quite high um, put it in a cast iron camp oven and you're touching the roof of the chook which is not always a bad thing but um Definitely with spun steel ovens that Southern Metal Spinners make, they're quite deep. Um, whereas with cast iron, a nine quart sort of thing is a definite, definite, definite choice to start off with. Um, in my choice, if you've got a family, I'd go for two nines or at least a nine and a four and a half. You know, cast iron mainly come in a um, main standard sizes that they come in is like a four and a half, a nine, and a twelve quart. 
Um, whereas in America, they've got all sizes from all different, you know, scopes and stuff like that and, and different sizes and different widths and heights and stuff like that. Whereas with us, we've just got like fours, nines and twelves. Um, but at the end of the day, if anything, I'd recommend they get two camp ovens, either two nines or a four or four or a nine, because that way you can put a roast in there. You've got plenty of room for veggies or you've got plenty of room to stick a damper to go with your stew and stuff like that. Whereas with a nine, you've got to wait for something to cook if you need to cook something else and stuff like that. So, Or if you, you for some reason, you've got some mates from down the road come over for dinner and up to your campsite and stuff and you you want to throw some more food in, you, it's good to have some more room. So definitely um, starting out with sizes recommend a nine at least whereas I, if, it, if it was me going out in the bush definitely i'd be taking out a couple of 12s so yeah nice yeah. how do we um store our our camp oven when it's not in use like so we come back or you know we might have used it well, how do we store it what's the best way to store it for so it's not you know the rusted or so it's not damaged for next time what's the what's some general tips there well, the first thing is once you've cooked your stew or you, you're done your roast, you've got to get it nice and clean quick so that way you give it a chance to, um, because the longer you leave it, you let it go cold overnight and it's all stuck in there and then you'll be scrubbing there forever trying to get it out of there if you haven't got that good surface on your camp oven. Yep. And um, especially if what you're cooking. Like if I went and cooked my um, our, our signature dish, the Coca-Cola ribs, and Ooh, yeah. we don't... We don't put a um, if you don't put a, an alfoil tray or something in the bottom, and what happens is that the all the uh, marinade goes hard and it just seems Sugar, to stick. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah, it seems to stick like glue to the camp oven. It's just a nightmare to get off. So we've learnt now have a, one of those disposable alfoil trays that you can just stick in there and you can put it all up. So that way, all the all the juices and stuff sit on in that tray. You can pull it out and your camp oven's clean and away you're going for the next one. So then. Once you're ready, you'd want to store it. So once it's all nice and clean, you've got it ready to go, get it dry, give it an oil and put it in a bag, whether you buy a pre-made camp oven bag or you use a hessian bag or an old towel or something like that. You always store him with oil in there so that way you're protecting him from the elements and stop him from rusting. Awesome, man. I know this is a one of conjecture as well. Trivets in the bottom. When should we use trivets? Because some people say, like, when you use a roast, you don't want to sit it on the bottom of the camp oven because it's going to burn it. Um, you know, some people say, you know, put a little bit of water in the bottom of your camp oven. Again, if you've got heat from the bottom to avoid, you know, any oils or anything from the beef, just really, as you said, like compacting on the bottom and being very difficult to get off. So when should we use trivets and uh, how is it, are they important? Well, if uh, obviously when you're um, stewing or cooking anything with a liquid, you, there's no use using a trivet. <laughs> but if, but it, I recommend using a trivet whenever you're baking, roasting, or doing any of those other things because it just allows you to get the food off the bottom of the camp oven, so it's not sitting directly on where the heat is. So. Um, just think about it when you get your roast and you put it on an oven tray and you're at home and you stick it on an oven tray and you open the oven door and you put it on a shelf, it's not sitting directly on the heat source. It's sitting in the middle and it's letting it to circulate around it. Same sort of thing with a trivet. You put your trivet in the bottom, put your, your roast on there, you close your lid, put your heat source on top and bottom. It's just getting it up enough to get the heat around it so you're not getting that direct burning to the bottom of your food. 
So I recommend any time using um, baking or, or, or um, roasting, you would use a trivet just to get that up off the thing. Um, and if you're doing breads and dampers and stuff like that, I recommend putting a bit of alfoil on, on your trivet so that way it stops it from going through the holes and um, helps sticking as well. Yeah, awesome stuff. We're just going to go to a quick break. We'll be back with Mick Villa from the Cast Iron Boys uh, talking about camp cooking, so don't go anywhere. We will be right back. The Sporting Shooters Association of Australia proudly presents Australia's largest event for the sports shooting industry right here in Sydney, the Shot Expo, June the 21st and 22nd. For the true enthusiast, the Shot Expo showcases the professionalism and commitment to safety of sports shooting in Australia. Safety and training demos, ethical hunting and conservation, outdoor and camping, archery, it's all on show. The Shot Expo, Rose Hill Racecourse, June the 21st and 22nd. Pay on the day or go to shotexpo.com.au for sponsors, exhibitors and online bookings all right mick mate what let's talk about mate everybody we love those scrum diddly umptious meals what types of meals can we cook out in the bush i know you said before keep it simple so don't give us recipes but let's get or we probably might, might go through a recipe if you've got one in mind but let's talk about just how to keep things simple when cooking and what sort of recipes and what meals are good out in the bush when you want to keep it simple well best thing is is to try and take with you stuff that um is very how would you say it, um, doesn't, you know, is in tins or and stuff like that, doesn't need a lot of cold storage because you want to leave your room for your, your most important things like meat and, and drinks and stuff. But um, I always pack a, you know, a heap of tin food in your, in, your, in your kit so that way, you know, when you're cooking a stew, it's just a bit of liquid and some stock and some veggies and some meat and away you go. It's very basic. You don't need to go all out and, and need a, a whole heap of stuff. Um, as long as you've got a key couple of ingredients like some herbs, um, some some stock, and um, you see fresh ingredients, you can you can do anything. Yeah, what what sort of good you like? What sort what sort of meats? Are, let's talk about meats. What sort of meats are good in the camp oven? Any meats sort of work? Same as you know, like a home oven. What a what a what a good meats that that will work really well in the in the camp oven. Well, I think any meat that you get is going to be good if you cook it properly. So um, <laughs> true. If you, if you don't charcoal it, that's the one thing. That's I, I like my my meat still mooing, but uh, and some people say against that, but uh, I definitely I just barely cook it half the time. Yeah, like, what lambs, chickens, or anything? What what's the go to? What's all this? What's the go to for Mick? What do you like? Oh, I love I love my steak. I love um just big thick piece of meat and just fry it for a couple of seconds on each end, and as long as it's still really red in the middle it's it's good for me um but other people would look at that and go it's still bloody alive so you know but but um no any sort of meat in the camp oven is fine i think yeah um, yeah uh, one of our big favorites that i that we have that we build a signature at when we used to do a few shows last year at a camping store we used to do a free feed for um about 100 people at a time did a few of those and we end up cooking about 80 kilos of our signature dish, Coca-Cola ribs. And um, that's been very popular and to the point where people were fighting over the Bain Marie dish for the last one and people were going back for seconds and people couldn't even get first <laughs> because I was cutting the line. And it was just mayhem on how much people were just fighting over these ribs that we do. And it's a very easy, simple recipe. And it come from our butcher who said to me one day, he said, 
um, used to sponsor us, and he said, have you tried Coca-Cola ribs? And I'm like, um, no, but it sounds interesting. And I said, what about a recipe? He said, go home and Google it. I'm like, so hey, here I go home, get on the Google and find that Coca-Cola ribs are really popular in America, but they all suggest to put, put yourself, get yourself an oven dish and put your meat in there and just fill it full of Coke and put it in the fridge for 24 hours. And I'm like, well, who's going to do that when we're camping? And checking out good old friend YouTube over here and um, found a, a little old la- Asian lady doing a, a Coca-Cola chicken wings recipe, but she was boiling the wings in Coke in their wok. And then once that was done, took them out and fried her meat off in a marinade. And I thought that's how what, how we can do ours. So basically for half an hour, you boil all your ribs in some Coke. And the amount of Coke you need depends on how many ribs you've got, obviously. And um, as long as they're covered and they're boiling away there for half an hour, it's pre-cooking them, all the sugars, all the chemicals and stuff in the Cokes, getting them all nice and tender so they're cooked by the time you finish with them. Just empty the Coke out, stick them in the camp oven. I just get a bit of marinade, whether you buy it off the store or, or just some even barbecue sauce works really well. And I like to thin mine down so it's not so thick and it's easy to spread. Just spread it on what you can see, cover your lid up, Check it in 10 minutes, keep on spreading it, keep on doing that as many times as you can over a course of an hour, an hour and a half. Come back and they're just awesome. What sort of other meals can we cook? Curries, you know, you've obviously mentioned stews, but curries are are pretty popular, I would think. What other uh, things can we cook in the desserts? Tell us about some desserts. Ooh, what can we cook? I love the desserts. (laughs) Well, one thing I've never really cooked in a camp oven is a curry, um, but I can tell you I've cooked lots of desserts in a camp oven because <laughs> that's one thing that we always seem to eat when we're out and about. And, and um, one of our favourites is like a, a cobbler, which is a big American sort of recipe as well, but they're very easy. You just need a tin fruit and a, a um, 90 cents cake mix sort of thing and some lemonade or something like that and, and some butter, and that's all you really need for that one. Um, but then you've got, like, crumbles and stuff like that. But then you're getting into a lot more ingredients to take with you and, and stuff. But um, one of our other favorites that we do do is a banana bread. Um, that's very popular, and we're starting to work on a, a banoffee, which has been really We've had two tries of that one so far and because we're developing a cookbook at the moment. So trying to come up with some really good, easy um, to manage recipes. But the banoffee has been very hard to get happening in a camp oven for us. Yeah, right. And going back to the Coca-Cola ribs one, I think you guys tell the, the listeners that you made, I think you made a video about the Coca-Cola ribs. Where can they find that one? Yep, so you can find all our videos on YouTube. We have a, a um, YouTube channel, which is Camp Oven Cooking with Mick. And um, we've got like 40-odd recipes on there. A lot of them are cooking. Got a few hits and tips, and especially one there that people were talking about was the um, Camp Oven Mate. There's a good tutorial on how to use that, and, and especially also with the heat bead fire starter and stuff like that, you can find a heap of videos on there. And also... Um, on Facebook as well. Yeah, what you know, let's talk about some, you know, obviously these, these cast iron or even, you know, obviously we're dealing with heat. What sort of other equipment is helpful to have when you take on your trips, you know, maybe some gloves or what do we need to take to make sure, you know, it's sort of safe and or what would help in addition to using camp ovens? Well, some of the other products you can get other than buying a camp oven uh, would be a trivet. I'd also recommend a, a lid lifter so you can handle your camp oven. Some people use whatever they've got, whether it's a, a tent peg or something like that. They all work, but um, definitely to get yourself a, a lid lifter, some gloves are really good because you can pick your camp oven up, you can pick your lid up, 
um, and stuff like that and withstand the heat for a little bit of time um, and it gives you a better chance to handle, especially when you're trying to pour out some liquid or anything like that, you can pick it up, get a good hold of it. Um, also, the other things that are good for the camp oven is obviously a bag, as we said before, for storage. And um, that's all I can think of off my top of my head. Yeah. So as long as you've got those those bare, bare necessities. Um, when using heat beads before, we're talking about that, if you're out and about, um, something that an old friend of mine told me about was they, um, they find themselves an old electric frying pan and they just use that and they put their heat beads down and they put their camp oven on top and then, and that, so that way it's up off the ground. It's, you know, it's somewhere that's not going to wreck the grass and stuff like that. It's just a good platform for doing heat bead cooking. Yep. I know, I know some people go out there and they go out in the bush, they've bought all this, you know, uh, stuff with them uh, uh ingredients ready to go now often people oh, i've been guilty of this myself once or twice uh not practicing using the camp oven so prior to going out in the field and having you know wasting food burning it you know not getting it right undercooking it whatever it may be so is practice good uh, doing it home to try and get that to work for you before you actually get out in the field well, one of our biggest things that we used to try and promote when we first started the Cast Iron Boys was you don't have to be out in the bush to cook in your camp oven because we found that a lot of the times that when people, you know, talk to people and stuff, the only time that they go camping or go cooking in their camp oven is when they go camping. And we get that a lot. People go, oh, I'm gonna, you put up a post and people go, oh, I'll wait until I go camping before I try that. It's like... One thing I have under the patio is a camp oven, mate, um, because you can just turn the gas ring burner on, stick a camp oven in there, and and away you go. So definitely, you know, have a look at something like that or the Ozpig or something you can have at home or if you've got a place where you can have a fire pit, go for it because it's definitely, it shouldn't be something that only used when you're cooking. If you've got some people over, get your camp oven out. Show them how good of a cook you are when you're in a camp oven because I always find my food always tastes a hell of a lot better than what I do in the kitchen. So. <laughs> awesome. Talking about that too, I know you said using it at home, but can we, we don't have to use it when we're camping. Can we use it uh, like, you know, I know some people use their Dutch ovens or camp ovens in their actual oven as well. You know what I mean? They use their cast iron their oven. Can we do that too? And is that beneficial as well or? Well, I follow a lot of groups on Facebook um, that are American-based, and they're all about cooking their Dutch oven, as they call it, in the oven at home or on the frying pan, or cast iron on the frying pan, on the stovetops. Um, and mainly over there, they call a Dutch oven is a rounded lid, and then from what I understand is a, they call a black pot the, the, the camp oven that they use on the coals and on the fire. So... Um, Definitely you can use your cast iron and I have a couple of cast iron skillets like you were saying before and I use them on my stovetop too at home because I just think I get a better result than a lot of those frying pans you get with a non-stick on there and like you said they fall apart and all that sort of stuff whereas cast iron I barely clean it I just give it a wipe out stick it back up on top of the fridge where it lives so the kids can't get their hands on it because 
big breaks, then, you know, all hell goes loose there and might get a broken tile. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I love mine. When I first, it's more of a nostalgia value for me as well, but I love the stuff I can cook on it. They do take, in my opinion, they do take a little bit of extra care. Like I, you know, often I'm a bit pedantic with cleaning mine, like not so much with soap or anything, but just give them a clean out. Then I put them back on the stove, wipe all the water out, reheat them back up, spray a bit of oil, because again, as you said, they will rust. So, but I love it, man. I can't, like I love using them. And again, like, uh, for the listeners, like Mick just said, you can just you can have these for. I know I found one ages ago. It's only a small one. It's great for like eggs and omelets. I think it's a little ten or twelve centimeter one, and it was at a little garage sale. And she they wanted like three bucks for it. And it was a well, I can't remember what brand it was. Uh, it was a similar to Lodge, another big brand. I just can't remember what it was. And yeah, it was rusted. It was like three dollars. And you can use these things. I mean, like. For the rest of, I mean, you could you could hand them down to your kids if you yeah you, know, you don't break them and you know you look after them. You can hand them down to your kids. I mean, how honestly, Mick? How long does the average even a two or three hundred dollar non-stick fry pan? How long does it really last before it starts breaking off? And you know, a couple of years at best. I mean, what do you think? Well, I've had a, a case where we've gone and bought a, a a really expensive you know electric frying pan and thought it'd be lasting forever and. And, you know, a couple of months later, it's all falling apart. And then, you you know, you go back to buying a cheap one, which seems to last a lot, lot longer. You just don't know. Um, you just don't know. But basically, geez, I forgot what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, the, just the type of, you know, what are we like? You're getting those expensive, you know, um, those expensive fry pans. You know, and they don't really last as long. Yeah, you know, people can have cast iron for a hundred years. I mean, you know, I'm surprised it's actually gone out of favour for really. I mean, obviously the weight affects a lot of people, and people, you know, like they want to get things done real quick. And cast iron, as Mick said, does take a long time to cool down, which you know you can't really just put it away in a, on a bench because it'll burn the crap out of your bench. I've seen people do that as well. So yeah, it's more yeah. just just more just getting the, the longevity out of you know those products, and people are handing them down to their kids. I mean, and often. You know, even people say the Lodge cast iron or is expensive getting it from America. But I mean, even you know, getting a decent you know camp oven or, or fry pan, the even even the cost to get it here um, would far be far a lot cheaper than buying, say, one of those you know the non-stick fry pans from over here in Australia. Definitely. Um, well, I've got one of my favourite pieces of cast iron that I picked up um, about. December last year and I went to a car boot sale and and a, a mate there that we see all the time who always has sell, sell stuff there and he come up he said come and look out the back of the truck come and have a look I just bought this and took me out there and I didn't know what I was looking at and I saw this big pile of rust and it was a nice big giant camp oven and um, they call it a 14 which I think is about 14 inches and it's got legs on it it just had a nice big thick handle but what it did have and with a big crack in the lid, it had a chip out of the lid. It you took the lid off and it had a big pile of rust. But the best thing about cast iron is that the rust sits on the surface, so that doesn't actually eat into the um into the cast iron like on a car the rust starts making holes it just chews away at the surface so if you clean all that rust off it may be a bit pitted but you still got a really good surface and you can still use it so i um i said to him how much you want and he goes oh 10 20 bucks and i said i'll take that he said so i took it home and i didn't know whether i was going to use it for a flower pot and i took some photos and put it up on a on our facebook page and 
had a lot of people saying, oh, this looks like this and looks like that. And he said, can you find some words? And I said, oh, I'll go and have a look. And got the grinder out with a wire brush and was going for inside of the lid. And I was finding some bumps and was working at that. And they come up there saying it was E-T-N-A. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'll take a photo of it and put it up on Facebook. And and uh, turns out it was um, from the Etna foundry in Glasgow and and um that foundry when i did some research closed in 1911 so it could be at least over 100 years old and and even more because they started in 1886 or something like that so you know that that piece of cast iron could be you know 100 years old could be 120 or even more and you just don't know because i reckon somebody's put that in there you know back in the day when you used to come over um on the ship they probably put it in there and bring it over with them and and um cook a lot of stuff so who knows what had that in there but it's one of my favorite pieces now it looks mint yeah does it you cook in it is it did it, did it, did it didn't turn into a flower pot did it <laughs> no I, I got into it once i found out how old it was i thought the next thing was because i said before i had a big crack in the lid so you know needed that get fixed so i um, rang a mate and um who makes race cars for a living and went up there and he said i'll have a crack at it so he had a go and he um had a world of it and and ended up making it really nice and got it all cleaned up and fixed that up so gave me the the you know inspiration to take it home and get into it with a grinder and really needed a good hit that's one thing is don't be scared when you if you do get a rusty camp oven and stuff don't be scared to use something harsh on it and go really hard and get it back to bare metal because you can always give it a good season a couple of times and even in the hooded barbecues before and and um, it'll come up awesome and yeah. that's one thing that we found with this cast iron. I find the cast iron that this pot's made out of is so much different to any of the other stuff, even the lodge stuff. It just seems to be heaps different. Yeah. So. Awesome work, mate. We've got a segment here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Uh, I do it with most people and no one's really exempt unless I forget to do it on the show. But it's the five questions in under a minute segment. Mick, you think you're going to be able to take the challenge? You think you're going to be able to answer five questions in under a minute? Depends on how fast I'm talking. <laughs> All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to press start on my little uh, stopwatch here I've got ready. So I'll press it and then we'll just get straight into the questions and we'll see how we do it. So three, two, one, let's go. Favourite piece of cast iron you own and what is it and why? You probably just answered that, but yeah. Well, definitely did just answer that. That's my Etna camp oven from Glasgow. That's my favourite piece because it's just really old and who knows what was cooked in it and its history behind it and who had their hands on it. Awesome. Best meal you ever made in cast iron? What was it and why? Um, my Coca-Cola ribs is probably our best recipe that we have, but uh, definitely my roast lamb that I do with a, um, a nice brown sugar glaze rub that I do. Oh, nice. Okay, your favourite dessert to make out in the field camping? What is it and why? Um, that would probably be the cobbler. As explained before, it's just, just a couple of tins that you can put in your, your pack and, and a couple of packet mixes and you don't only need a bit of water. So... Yeah. Awesome. What piece of camp uh, equipment could you never leave home without, and what is it? Uh, I'd say that'd be my tent. <laughs> yeah? All right, your favourite method, method of cooking uh, out of everything available today, what is it? Definitely my camp oven. Um, I use it outside. I use it tonight um, cooking up my dinner, because especially now that we're, we're making a cookbook, um, I'm doing lots of cooking in the camp oven. 
All right, one minute thirteen, mate. I'm really I'm about to start making this five questions in under two minutes or a minute and a half <laughs> instead. Only a few people have successfully uh, completed the chart. That's all right, mate. You gave some good info. Uh, before we finish off, mate, tell us about the cookbook. I know you guys are putting out a cookbook to make you know all these, you know scrum diddlyumptious meals for people. When's it coming out? Where can they uh, just tell us about it in general? Well, basically, we're running a crowdfunding program at the moment to produce our cookbook. Um, because we don't just we're three young fellas and this is basically still a hobby for us so we don't have a lot of money to invest into our hobby so we're trying to pre-sell the book through a possible campaign which has been quite successful so far and i reckon our book will be printed and the next thing from that is to um, produce it we've been working around the clock at the moment to get that done um, and hope to have it done by october but you know love to have it done sooner and it's going to contain the essential recipes that we think that everyone's going to be cooking because I own so many cookbooks, especially with camp cooking related because I like doing a lot of research. And a lot of those books that we do have um, all have a lot of recipes and stuff in there that you just won't cook, like, you know, camel stew. Like how often do you see a camel to get a bit of meat off it, you know? But I do have a passion to um, have a go at camel stew because – when we first started, we got interviewed by Take Five magazine, and and you know we we talked to him, had a good old chat and and stuff like that, and he interviewed us for a while, both me and Nick, because that was who it was just then, and um, thought cool. And then when the article came out, the first thing it said was, "Have you ever tried camel stew in the camp oven?" I have, and I did it all with my mate Nick Turby on the age of thirty. So. I apparently cook camel stew, so one day I won't have a go at it because apparently I cook camel stew. So <laughs> <laughs> nice work. So when when do we think it's coming out? You got any set firm plans or? Um, basically, at this stage, we definitely will have it done by October, but we'd love to have it for us by June because we've got the big June caravan and camping show in Brisbane, uh, which we'll be doing five demonstrations a day there. So we'd love to have that booked for sale for then. Um, but yeah, if we don't, we'll definitely have it by October because we've only got six weeks to put the book together from start to finish. So we'll see how we go. Tight timeframes. If people wanted to find out more about the Cast Iron Boys, yeah, yeah, obviously the book's not out just yet. But yeah, do you sell any products? What's the website name, uh, address, uh, Facebook, Twitters? What are you on? Emails. Give us all the information for the listeners that want to check it out. Yep, so one of our main things is we've got a website, which is castironboys.com. That's pretty easy. Um, you can just Google us on Google, just write Cast Iron Boys, and you'll see all our Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, all that just comes up naturally. Um, it's very easy to find anything on us um, once you just search those words, Cast Iron Boys. Awesome. All right, mate, just going to send you off now. We're finished now. We've done a good job, so I'm just going to just send you off, and then we'll um, cut all this part out. But so I'll send you off. Just stay on the line, yeah? Yeah, no problem. All right, Mick, thanks for coming on the show, mate, to talk to us about our camp oven cooking. It's always great to have a nice, you know, comeback either from, you know, it depends if you're on a camp or you're camping or you're hunting. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're out in the bush or even, as you said, at home. Uh, trying to make some you know, scrumptious meals out of your, your camp oven or your rotisserie or whatever it may be, whatever you enjoy cooking with. Uh, we've learnt a lot today about uh, camp ovens, types of camp ovens, what, what we can cook in them, how to use them, how to season them. I'm sure the listeners are going to be able to use a lot of this information. Uh, good luck with the book. As I said, hopefully people will jump on the website and purchase a book when it comes out. So thanks for coming on the show to chat to us about uh, cooking uh, in, yeah, with camp ovens, cast iron, you name it, while we're out in the field. Thanks for coming on the show. really appreciate it. 
No worries, Jason. And just remember, guys, if you are listening tonight, just shoot over to our Facebook page and put a comment on there that you heard us on here. And feel free to ask us any more questions because we're no worries to help you. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.